Today, we're continuing in a series. In fact, we're gonna end this series today, hashtag blessed. And this idea of hashtag blessed, you know, that, that we see all over social media, that folks declare themselves blessed, or they use the term, I'm blessed and highly favored, or they use the idea that something in their life good happened and now they're blessed. But what does that mean biblically? What does that mean in the context of Christian discipleship? Well, we talked about our giving and that, the way that God blesses our life is generally through our giving, that he expects us to step out and to do something in order for that transference of God's blessing to be put back on us. We talked about the tithe and giving in the tithe and above our tithe and having a generous heart and having a generous eye and seeing opportunities to connect and to be generous. Last week I wasn't here and I heard that Lori did a great job. Very, very proud of her. She's a, she's a good speaker and she's very well studied. It's funny. Uh, sometimes I wonder if she catches some of the things that, uh, I wouldn't say difficult, but some of the processes that I go through throughout the week to develop messages and those things. And then I watch her do it. and I'm like, wow, that's awesome. And then I watch her use material that's way different than what I would use. And I'm like, man, that's a really good idea. I should take some notes. So she really knows what she's doing and she did a good job last week. Uh, today, we're gonna talk about the idea of multiplication. The idea that multiplication is always better than simple addition. We're pretty good at adding to our life. We're pretty good at working a little harder and we add a little more to our paycheck and to our resources. We're fairly good in our own strength and power to understand what addition is to our life, the addition of resources. In fact, many of us learn simple addition in school, right? Two plus two is four. But then if you multiply two times two, that's a bad example. Okay, so two plus six is eight, and if you multiply two times six, then you get 12, obviously exponentially better, better than what you would have if you just added the two numbers together. We understand in our heart, we understand at our core, we understand core competencies that addition is one thing, but multiplication is infinitely better. And I think for many of us, we're waiting for that moment where God will multiply our resources while he promises to do so. And in fact, he, give us a, he gives us an example that we're gonna read here in Luke chapter nine and verse 12. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and run over to Luke chapter nine and verse 12. Much of this is gonna come up on the screen. This is an example of Jesus literally multiplying resources. Now it's a very common portion of scripture. It's a story that most of us have heard, or maybe we've seen the felt puppets, you know, put on the little felt screen when we were kids about Jesus multiplying the loaves and the fishes. But we're gonna get into some details today. So let's start with our reading. It says, now the day was ending and the 12 came to him and said, send the crowd away that they may go into the surrounding villages and countryside, find lodging and get something to eat. For here we are in a desolate place, but Jesus, but he said to them, you give them something to eat. And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless perhaps we go and buy food for all these people. And there were about 5,000 men, as it reads in verse 14. And he said to them, Jesus said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of 50 each ready to eat. So we see that there's 5,000 men. At this time, the Bible didn't really think and culturally they didn't think much about recording women and children, but we know from the families gathering together, there would have been in that group of 5,000 men, about 20 to 25,000 people were gathered to hear Jesus speak. This is likely the largest crowd that Jesus is ever going to speak to. And they're hungry. They've been there all day. 
fact, we know from Matthew chapter 14 and verse 12, it affirms the idea that there were others, there were women and children. If you go read that, it tells us that there were more than just the 5,000 men. But he's going to feed 20,000 people, the 25,000 people with two pieces of fish and a few loaves of bread. And it goes on and he says, the, the Bible says this, the disciples did what he said, they had them all sit down. Then he took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he blessed them. He broke them and kept giving them to his disciples to set before the people. And they all ate and were satisfied. And, they, the, and, the, broken pie, and the broken pieces which had, were left over were picked up and there were 12 baskets full. So Jesus feeds roughly 20 to 25,000 people with limited resources, two fish and a few, few loaves of bread. He breaks the bread, he puts it in the hands of the disciples, they serve the people, and when everybody is filled and satisfied, there's 12 baskets left over. Now we don't know what size those baskets were. Maybe they were just doggy bags, big enough for the disciples to take home for themselves and have a meal. Maybe they were large portions. We don't really have an understanding, but we do know that there was an abundance from two fish and five loaves of bread, 20,000 people were fed to 25,000 people, and there were 12 baskets left over. In my reading of this, I like to assume that those 12 baskets are a little reminiscent of the 12 doubters that he had on his team. These 12 guys who thought, are you really, can we really feed 20,000 people with a few pieces of fish and a few pieces of bread? Yet there were just enough extra leftover for each one of them to go home with a little bit more than what they came with. So what I like to do with this story is to try to interject myself into the life of this Bible story, into the life of the disciples. And if you can imagine with me for a moment that you're one of Jesus's disciples, you're one of the 12 guys that's parading around this dude called the Messiah. He's gonna come, he's gonna shake up the world. He's gonna be the guy that comes to overthrow the ruling government that has you oppressed. He's gonna be the gentleman that comes that speaks such eloquent words and words that are so impacting that you just hang on every sentence and every syllable. You're just waiting for another teaching from this Messiah. You're at this very, very highly attended event. All the postcards have gone out, all the tweets have gone out, all the Instagram posts, all the Facebook invites have gone out, and we see about 20,000 people gathered to hear this man speak. And the disciples are there and they start to parade up their Messiah. Now think of it as a Sunday morning service that had awesome worship. It was rocking, it was connecting. Everybody's in the presence of God. And now they introduce the Messiah. He comes up to teach. It's about 10 o'clock in the morning and he starts to teach. He goes on for a few hours. He's a little long winded. He hits lunchtime and he's still teaching. And they're thinking, all right, Jesus, good job. You've laid down some masterful points. We got to wrap this thing up. And then three o'clock comes around. And you're thinking, all right, he's gonna go a little longer, but you know, the crowds, they're a little restless, but we can manage. And then five o'clock comes around. And this isn't an exaggeration. We actually read this in verse 12. It says, now the day was ending. Jesus literally spoke all day, all day. And actually, if you look at the Greek for verse 12, and it says, now the day was ending, what that means in the Greek was, now the day was ending. It's the exact, the, the point is real simple. Jesus spoke literally all day. He was about to take a turn into his Lionel Richie move and go all night. He was about to go all night long. This guy was ready to rock and roll with his message. And his disciples are seeing the crowd and they're getting a little restless. Not that they don't like what they're hearing, 
because it's so impactful that the teaching that comes just before this miracle is literally considered Jesus's greatest teaching ever. It's the teaching that put him on the map. It's the teaching that 20,000 people came to hear. Yet the disciples are recognizing something's wrong with the crowd. Now, can you imagine this little community, this little committee of 12 folks? They're sitting there talking to each other and you're part of the group and you get picked as the guy to go up and interrupt his speech. He's been talking for hours. He's been talking until he's literally blue in the face. He's not taking a second breath. He's just continuing on with what God is downloading to his spirit to speak to his people that will last literally thousands of years after his death. Men will still pour over those words and find truth. Men will pour over those words and it will bring them to salvation. And yet you're the guy that's called up to say, hey, go interrupt him because we're hungry. You're the guy that's called up to say, hey, hey, Jesus, it's been a good day. We've seen 20,000 people come out, biggest group we've ever had. Fist pound me, man, that's awesome. But uh, we gotta quit, because it's getting long, it's getting late, nobody's eating. And can you imagine hearing the response from Jesus? Okay, you feed them. Say what? <laughs> feed them with what? Well, we found a kid who's got a two-piece fish dinner and a few extra rolls, and you know, it's really not enough, so maybe we should just buy food. And I think they were probably thinking in their mind, hey Jesus, let's spend all the money we have to feed 20,000 people, maybe even go into debt. That'll get him to shut up. And he says, you know what, you're right. Put everybody in groups of 50 and let's eat. And you gotta be thinking, what's this guy about to do? We just interrupted the premier speech from the Messiah, like the guy that's gonna come and deliver us all. We interrupted his premier teaching. We told him the people are hungry. We told him we have limited resources. We have two fish and five loaves. We said we could probably scrounge up some money and maybe pay for stuff. Maybe we could just kick everybody out and hope they come back tomorrow and then go find their own lodging and their own food. And Jesus stops the process and stops their thinking and says, no, 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 just have them sit down. You're gonna feed them. But we have limited resources, God doesn't matter. You're gonna feed them. You're gonna be responsible for this next feeding. You're gonna be responsible for what they get. You're going to be responsible for producing a miracle. 20,000 people in attendance. Jesus is gone all day. They've already missed the football games. They've missed the second football game. They should be relaxing on the couch on a Sunday afternoon, but instead they're hearing this man in the middle of a field continue to teach and they're hungry and the disciples see the issue and the need, 25,000 people, what are we gonna do? How could we possibly feed them with two fish and five loaves of bread? And Jesus says, sit them down. Then he, they bring the food to Jesus. Now, the disciples could have done this. They could have just started pulling off pieces of bread and pieces of fish and started feeding the group. They could have started with, okay, Jesus, we've got a little bit. You told us to sit groups down in, in groups of 50 and we've already started pulling bread and fish apart. We ran out real quick. They could have done that, but they didn't. They first handed him his portion. They first handed him the food. They gave it to him first and said, okay, do your magic. He lifts the bread and the fish to heaven. He blesses it, and then he starts to pull it apart and give it to his disciples. 
As he gives to the disciples, we don't read that they come back and get more food. We don't read that he gave to his 12 and that they go out and feed a few people and then come back and they go out and feed a few more and they come back for more divvying out of the bread and the fish. All we see is that they come one time. He breaks pieces, he gives it to them and he says, now go feed. Now you've gotta be wondering if you're a disciple, this is gonna run out really quick. You just took a really small meal, broke it into two and I'm supposed to feed a group of 50 people? But we do understand that this is where the miracle transpires. That in this moment, when the disciples first give him his portion, they give it to him first and say, God, you gotta bless it because our limited resources, they're just not enough. He blesses what they've given him. And then he says, go serve the people. Go serve the people. This is where most of us lose it with our finances. This is where many of us lose it with our resources. God has given us resources. At times, they're incredibly limited to what we think we can accomplish. And because of the limitation, we do much of what the disciples do. We look at the limitation, we look at the great need. There's a great need out here, 20 to 25,000 people. We have two pieces of fish and five loaves. We look at our limited resources and the great need, and what do we do? We say, well, they need to go figure it out on their own. Let's send them away. The second thing we might do is say, you know what? Let's figure out how to pay for this. Let's figure out how to get a big enough collection together. Let's figure out maybe a Kickstarter campaign and we'll figure out how to pay for this. And in both cases, they're not necessarily wrong. This is a group of able-bodied men and families. These men should take care of their own family. They should go feed themselves. That's not a wrong thought. The other side to that is not, a, is not a wrong thought either, that we should figure out how to pay for it. We wanna do some good, so let's figure out how to pay for this need. Let's figure out how to meet this need in our own strength. But that's not what happens. That's not the way the story goes. These men walk to Jesus, they hand him the fish and the bread, and he blesses it, and then the miracle happens as they serve. We have to understand the anatomy of a miracle here, that Jesus, who'd been preaching and preaching and preaching, who's not even, we don't even see any indication in the story that he's aware that there's a need, that these people are hungry, yet someone interrupts his talk and says, you gotta do something because they're getting a little restless. He says, fine, we're gonna fix this need. Whatever you have, whatever limited resource you have, I can fix it, bring it to me first. Bring me the resource first and watch what I'll do with it. See, rather than getting in a station where we think people should just take care of their own needs, or rather than getting us in a station where we think we need to figure out how to pay for the deficit, we need to come to God first, give him what is his, allow him to bless it and portion it out, because that's when the miracle happens. We get confused in our everyday life and we think that any of the resources that we have in our hands are ours first. Our time, our talent, our energy, our finances, our influence. We get caught up with the idea that these are ours. They're our, we worked for them. I'm sure there was a little work from the disciples to steal a little boy's lunch. Probably not much work. But they found it. They got it. They apprehended it. This is for the work of the Lord, boy. They took it to Jesus and they could have gone a different way. But they said, God, here in your hands, we know there's something to this. We've already seen you walk on water. We've already seen you raise the dead. We've already seen you do miracles that weren't even prophesied of. So we're gonna trust you just a little bit. There's no doubt in my mind that one of them was probably reminiscent of the story of an Old Testament prophet who with 20 loaves fed a thousand soldiers or a hundred soldiers and there was leftovers. I'm sure they were reminiscent of the stories they'd been told of other great men of God who had performed the miraculous. 
and thought, you know what? Maybe if we give it to him first, he knows what he's doing with it. Maybe if we give our resources to him first, he can manage them better than we can. Maybe, just maybe, if we give him the resources we have first, then the miracle will happen. But again, it's a scary place to be at. Who's responsible? If the meeting were to collapse and folks were to go away hungry, it could distort and possibly cripple the ministry forever. I'm sure there were folks in his ministry team saying, Jesus, we have to do something about this hunger issue and we have to do something about this crowd issue because if we don't, we're gonna always be known as the group that couldn't provide enough food. We're always gonna be known as that guy who was way too long-winded and people got hungry and they couldn't focus because they just, man, the hunger pains were just there. Jesus, we've gotta do something. I'm sure there were folks on his team who thought the limited resources we have are just not enough, but they trusted him anyway. They gave to him first, and because they gave to him, a miracle happened. 25 to 25, 20 to 25,000 people were fed. You see, in our minds, at times, it's like, excuse me, God, I know you have my best intention in mind, but I've got to know how this is going to work out. Before I give to you what I've promised, before I give to you what's duly yours, before I give to you that first portion, I've got to figure out in my head how this is all going to work out. And I don't believe that that's how any of this works. See, for many of us, I think we sometimes believe we can buy a miracle that if we'll just give to the church or if we'll just give to these endeavors or we'll give to that pastor or this ministry, that we can buy a miracle. A miracle will just happen. It doesn't work that way. But we see other folks giving and in their giving, we see their life being blessed. And we see folks giving and then God blessing them. And it seems to be a cycle. And we wonder, well, doesn't it look like they're just buying a miracle? No, there's a difference. There's a difference in obedience. You can be disobedient and miss out on what God is calling you to. You can be disobedient and miss out on the blessing of God. Or you can be obedient to the extent that when he says go, you go. When he says give, you give. When he says do, you do. And what happens? A miracle is multiplied over and over and over. We see in the life of this miracle that's lined out in the Gospels that it didn't happen because these men got from Jesus their portion, put it aside, kept it safe, and kept it to themselves. We see that the miracle happened, that the miracle of feeding 20 to 25,000 people happened in a perpetual motion state because these men decided to serve and to serve and to serve. In groups of 50, it breaks down to a large number of people that each disciple would have in front of them one group after another after another of 50 people to feed. Can you imagine when you come to the end of your basket and you've given away everything you have and the first group of 50 is filled and they're satisfied and then you move on to the next and something miraculous happens. You have enough to feed the next group of 50 and then you have enough to feed the next group of 50 and so on and so on. What is transpiring is a miracle, a perpetual miracle based on service. See, we forget that giving is just the, the starting point. Giving to God first is just the starting point. That's where he blesses it. But it doesn't become a miracle or a perpetual miracle until we decide to invest ourselves in others. One of the worst things that I see in the holiday season is this idea that it's all about me. It's all about me, God. Whatever I want, whatever my family wants, whatever that little brat wants, he's gonna get. Because it's Christmas. 
by God and he's gonna have a lot of presence under that tree. Because if he doesn't, somehow it's a reflection on me. We get so consumer centric that we forget that this is the season of giving. Not giving to get, not giving to gain, not giving to show off, not giving so you can hashtag bless your tree photo on Instagram and show all the presents. It's giving so that we can get out of our life what is God, what God is intending to get in the life of others. It's giving so that we can be a blessing to others. It's giving so that we can get away from ourselves and to spawn a perpetual miracle in our lives and in the lives of others. If God calls us to feed the 5,000, if God calls us to the impossible, if God calls us with limited resources to do the impossible, it happens because we are consistent with our giving and our efforts and our, inve- and our, and our involvement. Let me find myself here in my notes. I just got lost. That doesn't happen very often. The Bible teaches us that after these 5,000 were fed, that this is one of the markers of his ministry, an amazing teaching the premier teaching that he ever delivers, backed up by one of the biggest miracles that we see recorded in scripture. And there's no doubt that the two go hand in hand, that there's a principle of hearing the word of God and then exercising our faith that causes the miraculous power of God to be realized. It's reasonable, it's reasonable that they would have said, listen, Jesus, we sold out all these tickets Everybody that we asked to come came. There's 20,000 people, but they're hungry and we don't know how to fix it. It's reasonable that they were faced with such an uphill battle that they had no way in which they could understand how this was going to fix itself. Yet they knew one thing that they could do, be obedient. Bring to him first, Bring to him first their resources and watch him multiply them over and over and over. There's a couple things that I wanna point out here. In fact, two very specific principles. And the first one is this, it, whatever it is, whatever resource that we're talking about in your life, your influence, your finances, your talents, whatever it is, it has to be blessed before it can be multiplied. Sometimes we assume that and God is gonna multiply our resources and we've kept them for ourselves, we've stored them up, we've hoarded them, we haven't given to him first. He says, no, it's not, it doesn't work that way. Give to me first and I'll bless the rest. Give to me first the influence that you have. Let me use that first for kingdom purposes and then I'll bless the rest. Let me use your talent first for kingdom purposes and then I'll bless the rest. But sometimes we get a little backwards and we assume that we can hoard it and keep it for ourselves and that the blessing is automatic. It doesn't work that way. God will bless you. He does want you hashtag blessed, but it comes as we trust him first with everything that we have. And the second principle there is is that it, whatever it is, has to be blessed before it can multiply. It has to be blessed, or I'm sorry, it has to be given away before it can multiply. Whatever we have that God has given to us, whatever we have that he has blessed, it has to be given away. It has to be invested in the lives of others before it can be multiplied. Again, I think too many of us get caught in this idea that for some reason, that we don't have to be invested 
in the lives of others, that God's just gonna bless us because he's God and we're his kids and we don't have to be invested in those around us and nothing could be farther from the truth. Once he has his hands on it and he blesses the resources of your life, it's still our responsibility to invest in others so that the miracles of God become perpetual and they build on themselves and they grow just like these loaves and fishes as these 12 invested in one group of 50 after another, Jesus broke them down into manageable groups. God's not, in, God's not expecting you to feed the whole 20,000 all at once. He's expecting you to take manageable steps to invest yourself in somebody else's life so that the miracle of God can be perpetual. When Lori and I first got together, when we first got connected and, and, and uh, uh, kind of married and getting our finances together and all that fun stuff, we were first jumped into ministry together in a church in Kentucky. God held our feet to the fire and said, there are three things that you really need to think about. If you're gonna be someone who gives as the spirit leads, if you're gonna be someone who uses their influence and resources as the spirit leads, you, you need your feet to be held to the fire. And so he gave us three specific points. The first one was stop wasting. Stop wasting. Listen, I'm a huge sports nut. I, I was a bigger sports nut in college to the point that ESPN was almost like a God. I had to have it. And I'd hear that little tone, do-do-do, And I'm like, oh yes, sports center's on. I gotta watch it today. And there was three programs throughout the day, the morning program, the program in the afternoon, and the program in the evening. I had to watch every single one of them. For some reason, it's just something I had to do. Well, when we got married, we realized that was a waste of money. We didn't need 27 different sports channels. So we cut those out. In fact, when we got married, we realized that we didn't need more than one car between the two of us. We worked at the same organization. Even though there were multiple campuses, we could arrange uh, our schedules so that we could drive each other from one place to the next. It was a way for us to save some money. And we knew for, for us to do what God has called us to do, to invest in the lives of others, we had to stop wasting money. So we had to build a budget that helped us not waste money. The next thing we recognized that we needed to do, and especially when we started the church, was to not manipulate. To don't manipulate to get what we want because we had been around some folks who had a lot of influence. We had been around some folks in ministry who if we manipulated the, the relationship, could have done some things to advance our life, our careers, maybe put us in the spotlight as it would be. And I knew that that was wrong and there was something inside me that said any time anytime we manipulate for any reason, it's, it's, it's a negative, it's wrong, but there's this, this inert want to manipulate especially when you wanna get something out of life. Sometimes it happens in, in our season of giving, right? We, we manipulate with our husband. Oh, wouldn't it be nice to have what she has? We see someone with a new bag or a new watch and oh, it must be nice to have what you have. It must be nice for your husband to give like that. It must be nice for your wife to think of you that way. And we start to manipulate by throwing little jabs out into the conversation. We knew early on that in the life of the church, we would never manipulate you for money. I'm not gonna stand here and say that, oh, won't you help me? Won't you help me? If you don't help me today, it's not gonna go well. I'm not gonna do that. 
God knows our needs. God knows exactly what we need when we need it. God knows when every single bill is due for this ministry to continue on and for this church to move and for this church to grow and to be what he's called it to be. Listen, I don't need to manipulate you. God will move on his hearts, on the hearts of his people to accomplish his will on the earth. I don't need to manipulate you into anything. And anything we do when we talk about giving is not about manipulation to get cash out of you. I don't need your money. By the way, this church was here before most of you came. It'll be here long after you because God called the establishment of a group of people that will be Grace Family Church. It may change iterations. It might even change names someday in the future. I don't know. But if I go away someday because I'm dead and they bury me on some hillside, it's going to continue on. If God were to call me to be a missionary in Africa, the church will continue on because it's bigger than one person. It's a bigger ideal than just one person. And that's why I don't need to manipulate you for anything. And we need to live that same, uh, that, that same idea in our lives that we don't need to manipulate anyone to get anything. It's about being investors in the lives of others, not manipulating to get something out of somebody else. And the third thing that he brought us to was give to give, to learn to be givers, to learn to adopt this principle that we read about the two loaves or the, the five loaves and the two fishes, to learn to adopt this principle that anything that comes into our life is not ours first, but it's his. In fact, in our life, we have uh, confessions that we write down that we read from time to time. We have confessions that we read together. We have confessions that we read apart. One of the confessions says that any funds that come into our life are not ours first, but they must be used at the discretion of the Holy Spirit. That no matter what funds come into our life, they're not ours. They've never, they were never intended to be ours. We are just a vessel to use God's money for God's purposes, for God's kingdom. That is true for everyone in here. Now, we're not perfect with that. There are times when we use God's money to go to McDonald's. There are times when we use God's money to buy something for the kids or for the house. There are times when we use God's money to do something that he hasn't called us to and we redirect that money and we have to apologize. We have to repent and say, God, I'll do better next time. And we try to focus our heart and our voice in on what God is calling us to. Now this can get really weird in, in how I phrase that and doesn't seem very practical. So let me give you a practical analogy before we go today. When we give, it's kind of like eating an apple. God blesses our life and there's meat to that apple. It's the blessing of God right? We bite into that apple. We like the apple. We like the taste. It's sweet. Sometimes it's so good and juicy. It just kind of runs down our face a little bit. And that's a really good apple to bite into. We know what the meat of the apple tastes like. We know what the abundance of the apple tastes like. And that's what we're going after. But we also know when we go too far, we bite too far into the core. And what do we get? We get one of those seeds and they're hard and they're rough and they're not easy to chew. And sometimes they're hard to choke down. We know we've gone a little too far. Listen, in our financial life, in our life with our resources to God, it's the same way. God says, enjoy what he's given you. Enjoy the abundance that he's given you. Don't worry about spending it. Don't worry about using it. Don't worry about its enjoyment. But when you get too close to that core, when you get too close to what's his and you bite into that seed, you're going to know it. There's a feeling that comes over. It's like, mm, I just went a little too far. Just went a little too far with that. That wasn't mine, was it, God? No, that was your seed. That was your seed for your next harvest. Now you've got to cultivate a new seed. Now you've got to cultivate a new way to give. Now you've got to cultivate a new uh, resource. Now you've got to find more loaves and fishes so I can bless them so that they can be used for the glory, for the glory of God. 
It's real simple if you use that Apple analogy that God wants you to be blessed. God wants you to be blessed in everything that you do. There's nothing that he's trying to hold back from you. However, if you bite into that apple just too far, you bite into the core and you bite into those seeds and it's obvious that you've just taken one step too far. You've, you've taken the resources that God was setting aside for that next blessing in your life, that God was setting aside as seed for that next advancement. You've bitten into those resources that God was setting aside so that he can continue to bless your life so that there can be a perpetual blessing. You bit into that a little too far. We all know that taste, that bitter taste, when we just go too far with our finances and our resources. If I can make it that plain, that's what it is to understand how to give. To give at the discretion of the Holy Spirit is to enjoy the blessing of God. But understand there's a seed in there. When you get to that seed, that's his. When you get to that seed, that's his to be planted in the ground so that your life can expand, so that your life can grow, so that your apple can get bigger because he's not about limiting your bushel. He wants to get more apples into your bushel, but he can't do that if you're not putting any seeds in the ground. Do you understand? This is the basic principle of what it is to give. So this morning, I'm not gonna take up another offering. I'm not gonna ask for more money. You know what the church is moving forward in in the next uh, month and what God is moving on hearts and moving on, on, on you to give towards. And however God moves on you, that's what you should give. I'm not here to tell you what that number is. I'm just here to say, listen, be obedient and be attentive to the voice of the Holy Spirit. As we give and as we move forward in what God is doing in our life, be attentive to his voice. My goal is that Grace Family Church is known as a giving church. My goal is that this church is known throughout the Quad Cities as a church where resources can be found. And whether we tried to do it or not, it's already happening. We get a few calls a month from people around the Quad Cities who need resources. They need something, something, there's a deficit in their life. Some of them are straight up scams. They're just calling every church in the phone book, trying to figure out a way to get money out of them. But what we hear constantly is call Grace Family Church because they'll do something. They'll help you. They'll do what they can. I'm proud of that. In fact, just a few months ago, a young mother called from out of state. She had moved here to escape a, an abusive relationship. Her and her kids were living in a small apartment just down the road here in the West End of Davenport. No beds for the kids, no linens for them to sleep in. We got the phone call, we got on the phone and called a few folks and right away we had the resources to give to that family so those kids don't have to sleep on the floor so they can be comforted in a good warm bed so they can have what they need. I can't do that just because there's like a, an, an, a never ending amount of money in the bank. We do that because there are gifts that are sitting here today that have been given to the work of the ministry, so that when that phone call comes, when that person in need comes, that we can give and we can be a light to our community. It's far beyond just giving to get. I want you to understand that giving is a perpetual action, that once you give to the work of God, that he's gonna get into your life a new basket, a new seed, so that you can go out and give and to do more. And that once you exhaust that, that a miracle will happen and he will pack that basket full of goods again so that you can feed the next group. And the moment you think you've run out, he will pack that basket another time so that you can feed another group. It's never ending when we are in a cycle of giving. Giving is contagious. 
if we'll get in the repetition of giving and giving and giving. Amen? Amen. I want to encourage you today, today to be a giver. Wherever God is calling you to and whatever extent he's calling you to, be a giver because it will change your life. It will change your outcome. It will change your job. It will change your marriage. It will change your kids. Once you understand that you can give and that God will get back to you bigger and better than you could possibly imagine.